John Constantine, a Hellblazer podcast. and welcome back before we get into the episode just want to let you know that this is the free version of the podcast and all that means is that we are way behind where i'm at in patreon so if you are loving this podcast and you need more john constantine in your life definitely go check us out at patreon.com slash planes trains and comic books and sign up for the hellblazer tier where you'll get access to the entire hellblazer library that i've recorded so far and also you get access to the exclusive episodes of the planes trains and comic books main podcast so if any of that sounds good to you, definitely go over to patreon.com slash planes, trains, and comic books, all one word, and sign up there. And with that out of the way, let's get into the issue. Today we are reading Hellblazer number 65, and just a little catch up on what's been going on. In the last issue, we saw the angel Gabriel, who's also known as the snob, begin to get worried about the company he's keeping, because these fellows seem to be involved in some sort of nationalistic party that is racist, and this realization kind of causes him to have a crisis of faith where he's thinking in his head, how could I do this? And then also, how could God let me do this if he knows these people's hearts? And how this realization came to be is because last time John Constantine went to talk to him, John had pointed out that he was hanging out with these racists, and that is what started this whole thing. So Gabriel walks the streets of London, and as he does, he's kind of muttering to himself about John and God and all his crises that he's going through. So while he was muttering, a butler in the club that he hangs out in overheard him mutter the name John Constantine. And it turns out he is working for one of these racist organizations, so he reports that back to the head guy who's named Charles Patterson. And Charlie freaks out because he doesn't want the angel Gabriel, who's kind of been helping him out unknowingly, to leave him and not give him any help anymore. So he gets pissed off at John, and he decides the best way to get a warning over to John is to go hurt his new girlfriend, Kit. And that is where we left off on the last issue. So first things first, with issue 45, we got the cover. We see Kit is standing alone, and she's kind of looking longingly in the distance, and she's holding herself because the wind is blowing hard, and in the background we see very stormy clouds. So that's a very ominous issue. And we also see on this cover that it is written by Garth Ennis with art by Steve Dillon. And we start off on the first page with Gabriel the angel and he's talking to the woman he was talking to in the last issue, which her name is Julie. And she's just trying to help this man out that she randomly met who seemed nice. And she doesn't know that he's an angel. So she's saying to him, you're awfully hung up about this, Gabriel. You don't even seem to know what it is you've done wrong, but you're terrified of your father anyway. He must be really strict. And Gabriel replies, he is. I should also mention that this is just a continuation directly from the end of the last issue, so uh, they're still in the coffee shop while they're talking. So Julie says to him, Oh, Gabriel, you're a grown man, you know. It can't be good for you to live in his shadow like this. Maybe it's time you moved out on your own. And Gabriel, who's been kind of just looking straight forward while he's thinking as she's talking to him, he looks sad now, and he looks down at the table and says, That isn't possible. Then seeing his sadness, Julie looks at him and says, Look at you. What did he do to you to make you feel so scared and guilty? It shouldn't be like that. And then she reaches out and touches his face, and he looks astonished by this. And she says, 
No guilt, eh, Gabriel? And as we turn the page, we get a full splash page of them looking into each other's eyes, and he looks like he's about to cry, possibly, because this might be the first time someone's been nice to him on Earth. And she looks like she's falling in love with him, and she's saying, no guilt. And we also see on this page that this is part two of the story arc Fear and Loathing, and the name of this issue is London Kills Me. Then we cut to Kit's apartment where she's talking to a friend on the phone, and Kit is saying, I don't know, Claire. I'm still thinking about it, you know? I, I'm always moaning about London, but yeah, well, there is John. No, I don't think he'd want to move. Ah, you dirty weed bitch. He's not your type anyway. Your type? Buck Gidgets with a lot of spare cash, wasn't it? Claire, your Patrick was so bloody stupid, he tried to go joyriding in a steamroller. Oh, don't try and... Oh, don't even talk to me. I, all right, I'll have to weigh on you too. I think I hear your man on the stairs there. What? See, when I get to you, wee girl, I'm gonna wash your mouth out with soap. Aye, aye, right. See ya. And as she hangs up the phone, she hears a noise at the front door and turns and says, John? And then a hand punches through the door and she stands up in fright saying, Jesus! As two men walk in, one's very large and muscly and he's got a cutoff shirt that shows his arms and the other guy kind of looks like he works at the Geek Squad or something at Best Buy. <laughs> and as they walk in, she says, what, what? And as they walk in, the big guy looks at her and says, frig me, she's gorgeous. And the smaller man says, crying shame, isn't it? And then he pulls out a knife and we see that they intend to do some harm to her. But when Kit sees the knife, she doesn't get scared. She gets angry and determined. <laughs> so she looks at the man and she says, get out of here now, right friggin' now. But the small man with the knife just lights a cigarette and he says, grab hold of her, Sam, will ya? So Sam, the big man, goes over to her and she says, I mean it. And then she runs into the kitchen and the little man says, be easy on us if you don't give us any trouble, love. You've got the wrong boyfriend. That's all there is to it. You'll be sort of a warning. You know what I mean? And then we cut into her kitchen where we see she is backing up towards the sink and Sam is walking towards her slowly and she says, Last chance, son. And Sam just laughs at her saying, Ha you hear this, Mickey? It's my last chance. I think I shat myself. <laughs> but as he's joking, we see Kit reach her hand into the sink, which is full of water, but there's probably dishes of some kind in there. And before Sam realizes what's happening, we see Kit's hand and is planted in Sam's crotch. But in the panel, we can't really see if it's just her punching him or if she took something from the sink and stabbed it into him. And as she lands the blow, Sam just lets out, oh, and before Mickey can react, Kit is already on her way running to him. And before he can do anything with the knife in his hand, she scratches his face and runs past him out the door. And Mickey yells out, ah, oh, me face. She's ripped my freaking face off. Get her, Sam. But Sam doesn't move at all. And as we turn the page, we see he's looking down at his crotch and there is a butcher's knife sticking out embedded all the way up to the handle and Sam's jeans are covered in blood. And Sam turns as Mickey approaches him and he says, M Mickey, Mickey. And it looks like Mickey just runs away. And he must've gone to make a phone call because on the next page, we see Charles Patterson, the guy that sent them to Kit's house is talking to Mickey on the phone. And he's saying, oh God, yes, yes, slow down, will you? No, forget her. And then he finishes the conversation and he hangs up the phone. And there's another man in the room who asks, what's up? And Patterson answers, apparently the bitch has teeth. I think, well, 
Like it or not, we're going to have to take Constantine directly. Get a car ready and the appropriate Neanderthals. I'm coming too. And the man replies, right. You okay, Mr. Patterson? And then we get a shot of Mr. Patterson rubbing his groin because he just heard the story of what happened to Sam. And he says to the man, I'm fine. Then we cut to John Constantine, who was talking to his black friend from last issue, Dez. And John is looking at a piece of paper that Dez handed him. And John is saying, oh, what? And Dez replies, there's plenty more like that if you want to see him. And John says, I think this will do. And then he begins to read the paper out loud, saying, The National Front strongly objects to such allegations. We are a democratically run party who, Jesus, utterly condemn all racist acts and antisocial behavior. They're taking the piss. And then Des says to him, You should see the press release from the British movement. And then John jokingly replies, they giving Mandela a goodwill membership? And right there, John is talking about Nelson Mandela, who was a freedom fighter in South Africa against the apartheid government. But Des looks kind of annoyed that John was joking, and he says, It's not funny, John. Me mom got this through the door the other night. It was wrapped around a bit of dog shit. And then Des hands John another piece of paper, and as John opens it, he says, Ah, oh, bloody hell. And it says on the paper, Go back to Africa. And then John hands the paper back to Dez and he says, I'm sorry, Dez. You're going to get a lot more of it too. And as Dez takes it, he replies, Yeah, young George is wound up to 90, ready to do someone damage. Sign of the times, isn't it? All these little friggers out of work, looking for the enemy within. It's not like I took their bloody jobs. And John says, End of the century too. All the arseholes come crawling out of the woodwork. Tell you what, there's this little Nazi tosser I know called Charlie Patterson. I'm busy now, but I could have a bit of a sniff if you want. And as John says this last bit, we see some men in silhouette approaching from behind them. And John and Dez do not see these men. And in the next panel, we see a baseball bat smack into the back of John Constantine's head. And we see there's a total of three men who attack. Two of them immediately jump on John as he falls to the ground. And as the third man approaches Dez, Dez yells out, Friggin' hell! Get off him! And the third attacker says to Dez, Piss off, chocolate. And then we see a car pull up to where this attack is happening, and the passenger side window rolls down, and we see Charles Patterson yell out, Bring the black man, too! Come on! And I will say here that he does not say black man, he actually says the N-word, but I will not say that. And at first, Des was taken by surprise by these men, but upon hearing what Patterson just said, he headbutts the third assailant in the face, and then rushes to the two men who are beating up John and begins throwing them off of him. But unfortunately, one of those men pulls out a razor blade utility knife and swings it at Dez, and Dez is able to block it with his arm, but the blade slices through his forearm and he yells out, Jesus Frig! And then the man takes another swipe, and we can't see exactly what's happening because the panel is from behind Dez, but we do see the attacker is slashing across Dez's face and blood is coming out, and then he slashes again and again, and we see Dez cry out in pain unintelligibly, and as the other men pick up John Constantine's limp body and drag him to the car, they yell, Come on, for God's sake! Get him in the car! Come on! And the last panel we see is a close-up of the attacker with the razor blade's face, and he is looking with extreme hatred as blood spatters up, and off-panel we can assume that he is continuously slashing Dez's face. Then we cut to Kit, who is inside of a pub, and she is talking to Chaz on a payphone, and we cut into their conversation with her saying, Well, look, Chaz, if you see him, tell him not to go home. Tell him I'm in the Green Man up near Messwell Hill, 
and I want to see him now, right? I, I know it's a long way. No, I'm not in any trouble. Chaz, would you just do it for us, please? Ah, uh, I'm sorry, okay? Yes. Bye. And as she hangs up the phone, she sees a bit of blood spatter on her hand from the attack. And all of a sudden she gets nauseous and she has to rush to the ladies room. And the narration says, She'd been doing pretty well, she thought. Knock the baddie shite in to get somewhere safe. Switch on the old ice woman bit and get ready to give Constantine the bollocking of his life. Ah oh well, nobody's perfect. Then we cut to John Constantine who is tied to a wooden chair and he is still knocked out from that attack and we hear Charles Patterson say, wake him up. And then someone grabs John by the hair and pulls his head up and that makes John wake up saying, ah. And as John looks around, we see Charles Patterson standing in front of him with three goons with baseball bats standing behind Charles and another one is behind John holding up his head by the hair. And Charles Patterson looks at John and says, I thought it was meant impossible to sneak up on you, Constantine, losing your touch. And John has gained his senses now, so he says, yeah, me dickless little shit detector must have been on the blink. And then Charles slaps him across the face for insulting him. But John just takes it and then smiles at Charles saying, nice one, Schwarzenegger. Been giving it a bit of extra on the five knuckle shuffle, have we? And then Patterson goes to strike him again and he raises his hand, but then he pauses and he says, show him his friend. So the goons bring Des out and he is also tied to a wood chair, but we see he has a bag over his head and blood is pouring out of it all down his shirt. And Patterson waves his hand towards Des and he says, you should have stayed away from the archangel, you know. Now, well, what can I say? And John follows his hand and he sees Des and he knows it's bad. And Patterson says, take the bag off. And this has to be one of the most horrific panels I've seen in a while in Hellblazer. But as we turn the page, we get a three quarter splash of Dez's face close up. And you see it's beaten up because there's bruising on his eyes and stuff. But also there's just hundreds of razor cuts along his face that is torn through his flesh. His cheek has been cut open on one side. So you can see his teeth and his jaw and his gums on that side. And Dez is moaning saying, and upon seeing this, John is horrified and he yells out, oh no, oh bloody hell, no. And then Patterson and his goons move to leave. And as Patterson does, he turns around with a smile on his face and he says, I think they'll want to be alone. See you later. And he leaves John in the room with Dez alone and John is yelling out, Dez! Then we cut to Dez's friend, George, who we met in the last issue. And he is in a restaurant asking the man behind the counter if he's seen Dez. And the man says to him, don't know, wasn't here at lunch. And George says, well, is there someone who was? It's important. And then the man at the counter looks over to the woman at his right and she is serving drinks from behind the counter. And he says, Carol was, but leave her till she's not so busy, right? And George replies, right, right. Carol, hey, Carol, have you seen my brother? And Carol replies, oh, hello, George. Des, isn't it? He was here with John was his name just after lunch. What's wrong anyway? And George replies, he was meant to be home at two. Me mom's worried sick, you know? Then the man behind the counter cuts in saying, not surprised if he's out with John Constantine. And George turns to him confused and says, what? What do you mean? And the man replies, the bloke's bad luck, isn't he? Friggin' Jonah. And Carol yells at him saying, Martin. And the man says to her, well, he is. What about Richie Simpson, huh? Constantine's mate? Burnt to a crisp down at the factory. And that nun he used to hang about with. 
They found her head spiked at the top of the bloody stairs at Mornington Crest. And Carol, looking annoyed at Martin, says, Thank you, Martin. Look, George, John's all right, okay? And I'm sure Des is fine too. But Martin doesn't seem to take comfort in that, and he says, Carol, is that Bates lad still living in Kilburn? And Carol replies, Oh, he's bad news, George. But she must have confirmed that Bates does still live in Kilbourne, because the next panel we see George is talking to someone on the phone, and he's saying, You still looking after that sauna for Joe Hollis? Yeah? Even better. I need it. And there's a little Easter egg hidden in that conversation, because if you remember, Joe Hollis was a man that was hired to burn down the bar of a married couple who had owned the bar for a long time and didn't want to sell to someone trying to buy. So apparently he had a gun stashed away with this guy that George knows, and now George is going to get that gun. Then we cut to a park, and we see that Gabriel the Angel is walking with Julie. And they're not holding hands or anything, but they are walking close to each other. And the narration says, All day they walked, and when twilight came, they wandered under skies of deepest, darkest blue. They looked for all the world like lovers. Gabriel knew it too. And then we see Gabriel turn and look at Julie, and the narration continues. Those eyes that sparkled full of goodness, the lips that spread into delighted smiles, the life and joy and truth and purity. Oh, Father, rejoice. Whatever it was you wanted them to be, this girl is it. And we see that Julie isn't looking at him. She's actually looking at the trees and plants around her. And she says, are these cherry trees? And Gabriel answers, I believe so, Julie. They are. And then she turns to him and says, I love them in the spring, don't you? With the blossom? I think I'm the happiest in spring. And then a small smile comes over his face and he closes his eyes and he thinks, what could it hurt? And then all of a sudden, the cherry trees begin to blossom and the flowers begin to fall off and blow in the wind around Julie. And she's looking with wonder at this and then she looks up at Gabriel and she smiles and she says to him, no guilt, Gabriel. And then they kiss each other and they pull each other close in a hug as they do and the narration says, the weight slipped from his shoulders at long last. No guilt. Then we cut back to John Constantine, but instead of being tied up in a room, he is walking on a very stormy beach. And the wind is blowing so hard that as he pulls out a pack of cigarettes and he tries to light one, the lighter and cigarettes catch the wind and they blow away. And then as John stands there, he looks in the distance and he sees something and he squints. And as we turn the page, we see... He's looking at a pier, and at the very end of that pier, outstretched near the water, is a woman standing, also being blown by the wind. So John rushes over to the person, and as he gets closer, we see more detail, and we can definitely tell that this is the back of Kit, with her raven hair blowing in the wind, and she's holding herself, just like she was on the cover of this issue. And then she turns around suddenly and looks at John, and she has a very sad look on her face. And it almost looks like she's about to say something, but before she does... We snap back to the room that John is tied up in and he is waking up and it seems that that dream must have been a warning sign to him or possibly his mind is just thinking about Kit and what could happen to her and with eyes wild with fear he says Kit and that is the end of the issue so if you guys have any comments questions or suggestions you can email me at planes trains and comic books all one word at gmail.com and we will see you on the next one.